I'm going to read from Psalm 25. Just a few verses. And the scripture says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit be free to move among us. We know that you never go where you're not wanted, that you never force yourself into any heart. But by the power of your spirit, you are always ready to enter any heart that is willing to open itself to you. It does not matter the number of their transgressions or the depth of their sin or how far they are from you yesterday. All that matters is for them to have the desire in their heart to open it to you, to be taught by you, and to make the choice to desire to follow you from this day forward. So speak to us now that we might all have a sense of what it means to teach, to be taught, and to praise God for the great teacher of us all, Jesus our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. We're in a series, and this is the final series. We've been reading from the book, simple little book called The 19 Questions to Kindle a Wesleyan Spirit by Carolyn Moore. I'm afraid we're not going to finish that series, at least not with me preaching, although I'm going to do my best part to skip around the parts I don't like the most and go straight to the parts I do like the best toward the end, so I'm not going to be preaching about fasting. It's a powerful precept, and I get, leave that to the next pastor to teach you to do better than I've done. On February the 14th, 1978, at the age of 27, after about a year and a half-long battle, I finally decided to receive God's call upon my life and to do what God wanted me to do rather than all the things that I wanted to do. It's hard to believe that it's been a little over 40 years now, but that's when it started. And my wayward youth, I never finished college in a timely manner, nor did I have any plans to at the time that God called me into ministry. I always said I was going to, but I really wasn't. But once he called me to preach in the Methodist church, that meant going back to college, that meant going back to seminary. And so my journey began with three large congregations that same year. I'd made the mistake of being a young, ignorant person called to ministry to tell the district superintendent one day when he was at my home church that whenever he needed somebody to preach, I was ready to go. I was about as prepared as a snail is for winter when I said that. But lo and behold, I didn't understand how the Methodist system works. In May, I was walking through the church on another time when the DS happened to be there. For some reason, I forgot why now. When he walked by, he stopped. And he says, oh, yeah, by the way, you begin preaching on June 15th at a place called Callisburg. I said, what? 
He said, you're going to be going there to preach. I said, oh, great, that'll be fun. Uh, and he said, yeah, there are three churches there, and you'll be their pastor. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, preach. I didn't say go there and live there. He said, oh, you won't, want, you won't be living there, but you're just going there. And so we did. I remember how dumb I was, and I remember it took me about a year to wonder what I was going to preach about the rest of my ministry because I preached on all the important things in the Bible. I only allowed to stay there, was allowed to stay there one year, and then they moved me. But while I was there, I learned my first great truth from a congregation, and it stuck with me. And in most of my years, throughout my years, it's been affirmed by one young lady. Her name was Corey. When I first went to that church on the first Sunday, I saw on the board where they'd had 13 the week before, and this was a small country town where there was a school. And they had 13 people in worship. When I went to the second, they had 21. I thought, well, things are looking up, you know. And I thought that, that was a powerful thing. They had 21. I didn't know they had 20 or 21 every Sunday and had forever. And then I went to the last church, and there were five. And they were all as old as my grandparents. And I thought, what am I supposed to do now? Fortunately, one of them was 40, though, and he played the piano for a while. In that first church service, I went there, and about the second Sunday I was there, a new family showed up, and there were more than 13. There was a number more than that. I think there were 25 or 30 that next week, and one of them was dragging a little family, and one of them had a little girl who was about two years old. There was another little girl from a family we had already visited, and, and boy who we came to know very well. And as I went down, I decided to do something different. I said, you want to go down and have church a children's sermon this morning? I don't know why I asked it or why I said it, but I did, and she did. And she reminds me to this day of the time she sat on my lap for one whole year, Sunday after Sunday, as a two-year-old. Her parents rarely having come to church before that, but they hardly missed a, thing, a time for a year. Every Sunday, little Corey sat on my lap. Little Corey's not so little now. She's all grown up, and she's an amazing young woman. But she never ceases to remind me how important it was for her to be sitting on my lap. So I learned something of the importance about question number 14 in Carolyn's book and in Wesley's questions for those about considering to be pastors. It says, will you diligently instruct the children in every place? That's an important thing for us to remember as church people because, you see, there are children in every church. Some of those children that need the instruction of the Scriptures are two years old, and they want to learn. Some of them are 78 years old and don't know they have not yet begun to really learn. All those children of various chronological ages need to learn, and they need someone to teach them. I'm going to come back to that. In 1979, we went to Ector, Mulberry, and Ravenna. We were coming up in the world, but not up in the world far enough to, to just have one church. We still had three. These three met every Sunday, and so we would begin on the, on the river and work our way back to Ector, Texas. We had children's sermon there, and I remember the day. It forever stands in infamy. I have to tell this. They're not here. I... I there's not anybody here from Ector, is there? 
There is somebody from Bonham. Y'all don't repeat this story. Actors just outside of Bonham. And so they were down for one little children's sermon, and one of the little boys was really a little tutor. And so I asked in my second year of ministry uh, another dumb question. It wouldn't be the last I'd ask in a children's sermon. But this day, I had the whole strength to say, what were your parents doing last night? <laughs> Young, dumb. And this little boy looked at me. He said, my dad was down throwing dice. It got deathly silent in that congregation of 35. And then the whole place burst into laughter. Now, everybody wasn't throwing dice that night. I was sure an actor. And I, you know what I said? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. What was I going to say? I finally said, well, that's very interesting, and I turned to somebody else. Please rescue me from this situation. Children are always a wealth of information and ready to share it. That's why some people's children never come to worship. In 1981, we moved to Kentucky, a far, far away land, to go to Asbury Theological Seminary. We'd been there about three months when I went to a little place called Dunaway United Methodist Church in Trout, Kentucky. The DS said it was a little love cottage just made for seminary students. You know what it actually was? You know, that, that, that DS told the truth. I was shocked already to know that could happen. But a DS did tell the truth. And we went there, and we had a glorious year and a half there in Trout, Kentucky, population 57 or something like that. And I got to drive an hour back and forth to seminary every week until I finally gave out and gave up. I graduated from seminary in 1984 through 1986. I went to be an associate at Waples Memorial United Methodist Church in Denison, Texas. People in seminary, when we were all talking about where we were going, what we were going to do, I told them I was going to be an associate, and several of them broke out laughing. And I said, why are you laughing? And they said, you don't make any sense as an associate. I said, I do too. Eighteen months later, I said, I do not. You were right. <laughs> and then I went to Salina, Texas, a town just like we grew up in, stayed there from 1986 to 1991, establishing a record that was only recently broken by the pastor who's serving there now. Because the first pastor ever before, before me and those following me, there had been 50 pastors in 100 years in that little church. And I was informed after everything was going great six months later by one young man that I wouldn't be there two years if nobody ever stayed that was doing any good. And I said, well, I will. And he said, no, you won't. I said, I will too. And I... Pretty soon, we were in that conversation again. He was my age. He said, you won't be here in two years. I said, I bet you I will. He said, what do you want to bet? I said, what do you want to bet? And he says, well, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. If you're there over two years and we begin to ever see 200 in worship, six Sundays in a row, he started out with four, but then he said, six Sundays in a row, I'll preach and you can take off. And I said, Okay, what do I have to do if they don't have 200 in this congregation of 93? And he said, then I'll go fishing, and you'll work at the car dealership. And I said, all right, that's a deal. Didn't sound too bad to me. A year and a half later, I was still there, and we had 200 people in a, in a row, six weeks in a row, and the next Sunday he preached to another standing crowd only as he preached his first and last sermon. 
1991 through 96, we went to Bonham, Texas and stayed there five years where we saw the best mission project I was ever a part of take place as we built and paid for before we ever moved into it. A special, special time. We built a family life center that was also a community outreach in the poorest county in Texas. Actually, the second poorest county in Texas at that time. In 1996, we went to Paris, Texas. Stayed there for eight years. Thought I'd never leave, but I did. We ended up in Frisco. We were served from 2004 to 2013. And then in 2013, we moved to Carrollton, Texas, where we still are and where I continue to be in the recent coming years. But since I'm not going to be preaching regularly in the coming years, I, I better start go back to that. But I wanted some of you to know that. And I know there are some here, even some in this congregation, who have asked, now, why is Doug retiring? So I thought everybody knew. So I'm going to give a thumbnail sketch of exactly why I'm retiring and the only reason I'm retiring. And that is because, not because I am just turned 67. That's not it. I'm retiring for one reason. It's called myasthenia gravis which is an autoimmune disease that I was diagnosed with in my birthday in 2017. I've been ill for a year and didn't know why that I couldn't feel better. I found out once I had that disease a lot of things about it. One, the first thing that caught my attention was it was not curable. The second thing was that they could treat the symptoms. And the third thing was that it wasn't going to kill me unless I was really stupid. So I marked that down, don't be really stupid, and this disease will not kill you. I was also told to avoid stress <laughs> not, and to get plenty of rest, add an hour and a half and a nap every day into it, and don't work too much. And I said, well, that kind of doesn't fit my lifestyle, and it doesn't fit my occupation. And they said, yeah, we know, retire. And I said, well, I'm not so sure about that. That's kind of radical. And then about 10 months later, 11 months later, I had to finally admit one day that I could no longer be of worth to the church. You were paying me like I was worth something, and it was not what it, I was able to do. That's why I'm retiring. The only reason. Not because I'm tired of it. Not because I'm tired of the United Methodist Church. Not because I don't want to preach, but I physically can't do much without it stressing me. I've had the best week I've had in ages, as I, I told somebody earlier this last week, until Saturday. And you know what changed Saturday? I started thinking about preaching on Sunday. And by this morning, I was, the back was hurting and all my nerves were on end. And I thought, yeah, this is why I'm retiring. I remember now, Lord, but I'm just doing this this last time. We can do this. And he said, take some more drugs, Doug. It'll be all right. <laughs> I did, and I am, and I feel fine now. <laughs> now, one of the things about this sermon I want to be sure and make clear is that when you preach your first sermon, you know, you, you don't know how long you're talking and you don't have enough sense to care. You, you just go on and on and on. You say everything six times and then you sit down because that's all you know. Your last sermon is more dangerous. You know, it can go on and on too if you let it, but it shows the lack of understanding you have after 40 years that you think people want to keep listening to you. <laughs> Check me out. I will not wear you out today, I promise. Brian, I'm looking at my watch, and I don't have long. I'm aware of that. Brian's my timekeeper. I do want to say this. My mother is 93 and will be 94, Lord willing, on January the 6th, 2019. Seventh? Oh, yeah, seventh. Thank you. 
The voice was my wife and the numbers were my sister. My mother would never have heard it because she's deaf as she can be, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but she couldn't come today. But if she was not who she was, I would not be here. If she were not who she was, the rest of my family, my extended family, would not be here. And if not for them, I would not be here. Mother, first of all, delivered me at a time when it was very tough to deliver babies. Doc, you get that. And she delivered me back in the forceps day, and I weighed 10 pounds. And her description of that was, I nearly killed her. And she said, and I nearly killed you in turn. And I thought, well, that never really stopped. That red-haired woman had a hold of me a number of times, but she did do this. She saved me from driving my younger sister completely crazy. So she really saved Sandra by saving me from my daddy's wrath. And she saved me from my brother killing me and sending me to Jesus early, who was older. <laughs> so I thank Mama for that, but I also thank her for being who she is. She's sitting at home now, I'm sure, praying for us all in her chair, wrapped up. She's quite the woman and quite the lady. She loves the Lord and she reads. She taught Sunday school for years, and even now she continues to read because God has given her eyesight to do so. She studies and she reads all the books that come out that interest her. And she knows more than I will ever know about the Lord that I've preached about so long. Now, I want to go on to say this about that passage of Scripture. If you continue to read in the book of Proverbs, you'll find a lot of words about wisdom and about teaching and about its importance. I believe that early on because I found that many people in United Methodist churches didn't know much about the Scriptures I'm going to refrain from saying I knew, knew a lot of pastors that after seminary didn't still know a lot about the scriptures. I'll not say that because <laughs> that would be unkind. But, well, moving on. Jesus was the greatest teacher of them all. And he taught us to be humble. He taught us to submit ourselves to the wisdom of God and to the plan of God for our lives on a regular basis. And he told, told us to give our very life to God. I don't know how long it takes for that to sit in for us, but to sit in rather, but it usually does somewhere as we get older. We begin to understand some of those passages of Scripture in a different way than we ever could before. But it always begins with that phrase from Psalm 25, where, teach me your path. Teach me your ways. And the path changes. Some people have continued to ask me, um, well, what are you going to do when you retire? I don't know, because I don't retire until today at 1230. But I'm only retiring, in a sense, um, to enter a new phase of life. I'm not going to quit teaching about Jesus. I'm not going to quit worshiping. I'm not going to quit sharing what, what little I know about God with whoever will listen. I'm just going to have more time to do that than to go to committee meetings. And that is a blessing I'm yearning for. <laughs> the opportunity to tell somebody about the Lord I love and the Lord who has loved me, provided me with a family background and congregations that have taught me all these years the many things I needed to know and had, didn't have a clue about in order to even approach the idea of being a pastor worthy of leading them. I had the desire to learn 
and they had the willingness and the forgiveness to accept me as my pastor. I shun and shudder when I go back and read sermon notes from 1978. Yeah, I still have them. They're in a file at home, along with some more books and a lot of other notes that I kept from seminary, a drawer and a half of those. My wife has informed me that those all can't come home, that all of my decorations can't be hung on the wall. She's told me that, and I know she means it. But, you know, she's been home most of herself, by herself, once she quit teaching without me there. So, let's see. Who's sitting next to him today? Where is she out there? My brother-in-law, my youngest son-in-law, and a brother-in-law. Would y'all lean over to whisper to Sally a truth, a teaching that she needs to hear? You'll have to pull her fingers out of her ears. Just <laughs> grab and pull strongly. Doug is coming home. <laughs> yes, I am. And if you think I've learned anything yet, or she has, you don't know what's coming for both of us. But the Lord will deliver us both in some kind of way. But it will not include the trash can for all of my books or all of my papers. It may include the garage for all of them or for some of yours, darling. But you know, life gets complicated. And even your youngest child said, don't throw any of those books away. See, I've got Sarah's support. You're outnumbered. Now I have to tell one more story, and I'm going back to preaching, and I'm done. You said you haven't even started preaching. I have to my wife. <laughs> I preached warning. I preached perseverance. I preached get ready. Change is coming. Whenever they were talking about getting together as a family celebration this after church today, they, Sarah decided to explain it to Miller. And this is the best response to my retirement yet. And it comes from a young man who just didn't even understand the concept. And she was telling him that Papa's going to be retiring. And he was kind of looking at her. And he says, that means he won't be preaching every Sunday or, or doing all those things. He's going to be home a lot more. And we're going to have a lot more, fun, more, more time to do things that are fun. And so she explained it to him. And then she said, and afterwards, we're going to have a celebration, kind of like a party at our house. And he looked at her with this look of horror on his face. And he said, that's not any reason to have a party. <laughs> and you know what? From that perspective, I'm going to agree with him. I'm not celebrating this moment because it's here. I'm celebrating that moment. I'm celebrating because I got here. <laughs> that was in question a lot of years. A lot of years. Let me read to you another passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy. This is an old, old story. Moses was talking to the people of Israel after the Lord had been giving them commandments about how to live, and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You have to teach the children. Will you teach them diligently? Will you teach children of all ages, both children who are children in the faith when they wander into churches just to try it out? Will you treat them and teach them as children in the faith or will you try to teach them as someone who has 40 years of experience following Jesus? Will you be able to forgive them like you forgive a small child and accept them into your fellowship and welcome them with open arms regardless of what they look like, how they talk, what their practices of living are, or whatever they do because they've come to the church to try and find a relationship with Jesus Christ? Will you treat them like the child that they are in the faith or will you insist that they act like someone who's known Jesus for 50 years? The surest way to kill a church and we've succeeded in doing it all across America, is to insist that those who don't know Jesus must somehow know all about him the minute they step in that door. Though you've been spending a lifetime to know about it and may not have done that great a job, you insist they know more about it than maybe even you do the first day they come to church. Or if not, surely the first month, right? You're welcome to come in as our sinner just as long as you clean everything up in about the next six weeks. And they don't even know to ask you, have you cleaned everything up in your life? They don't know that's fair. I may take that up as an occupation. Drop it into churches I haven't ever served. And being the visitor who doesn't know Jesus. And driving those church people crazy. (laughs) By asking them all those hard questions. Why didn't you welcome me when I sat by you last week? Why didn't you invite me to lunch with your family? Why didn't you invite me to your neighborhood party? Why didn't you come when I invited you to the party at my house? Were you afraid we'd be doing something crazy? Why didn't you reach out to me? I've lived down your street for the last 10 years. It's a hard question. But if we don't learn to teach people and where they are when they arrive, whether they're two or whether they're 72, we're not following Jesus' teachings or reaching out nearly the way he did. If you think it's hard to teach them, the 15th question that Wesley asked them was this. Will you visit from house to house? Now, when we're asking these historic questions of ordinance today, everybody always laughs. Because you can't get in anybody's house today, right? I mean, it's, it's 2018. You come knock on their door, they'll look in the little peephole or the security system, see they don't know you, afraid you're a salesman, or if you're carrying a Bible or a pamphlet, they, they might not only do that, they might have something built in where they can just kind of kick you off the porch. You know, they're not going to make you feel welcome. They're going to treat you antagonistically, especially if they know you're a Bible man or a Bible woman. Because, you see, they have all these bad impressions about the church, and they believe them because it was their experience. It was true they were mistreated in a church years ago, and they haven't been brave enough to put themselves in that vulnerable position again. Well, you visit them house to house, and we say, Whew, we don't have to do that one because it's out of date. And I say to preachers, no, it's not. 
Will you visit from house to house is the same thing as saying, will you visit from hospital to hospital? Will you visit from nursing home to nursing home? Will you find a way to get into the people's houses that live around you? Will you bump into them at ball games just because, not even after your children have grown up and left your house, will you just show up at a little league game because that's where all the parents are? That's where all the kids and young families are. And we, we keep waiting for them to show up. You know what? They're waiting for us to show up too. They're waiting for us to go to them. Jesus had visited literally from house to house across Israel and Galilee. He walked around. He had a walking around ministry. And we think we can't do that today. Now, it is easier. You can walk yourself right into your study and walk yourself right up to the keyboards on your computer. And you, you can start your own little blog about why I'm a Christian. And you say, man, if I did that every nut in the country, unbelievers alike would be writing me emails. Great! That's what you want. You want all their questions. You want all their fears. You want them to be able to hear somebody that has a genuine, simple, real faith in Jesus. Use that computer for something besides shopping. Use it for something besides getting on Facebook. Except if you're on Facebook and witnessing, use it more. Use everything around you to get into people's lives. But for goodness sake, don't take the treasure that God has given you and lock it up in your own heart and mind. Because that is why the church, I'm going to speak for the United Methodist Church. I'm going to say most, most mainline churches today are dying across America. While 50% of this country, and probably 75% if the truth is known, are not really reached for Christ. We'll go and sit beside them. And then when we leave, we'll say, you know, I probably should have brought up Jesus. I know that person's not a Christian. Or we'll go to work and say, well, there's old Sue, my supervisor. I know she doesn't like church or people go to church, so I'm just going to leave that alone. No. No, don't leave it alone. Find a way to work it into the conversation. You say, well, that would be intruding. Yes. You say, well, that might get me fired. So what? There's another job. Intrude in their life, not because you want to be a busybody. Intrude in their life because you're trying to save their life. If they were on fire, you'd run across town to get a bucket of water and throw on them. But if they're sitting there letting you know that they don't believe in God... There's a bigger fire going on than if their clothes were on fire. Please be the bucket of water that splashes into their life. Please do it in the name of Jesus and barely say Jesus. But say, I care about you. How can I help you? Will you can I buy you lunch? I'm glad to listen to your struggle. People are telling you all the time about their struggles. In the end, be sure that you're able to say gently, I had some kind of struggle like that. The way I found my way out was through a friend who befriended me and cared about me and then took me and introduced me to God.
in a church unlike any I knew existed. There's really a lot more of those churches than the people out there think. That if they just get into them, they'll find a lot of wonderful people just like you. But you know, if we don't ask them, they won't come. Is my time up? It is. Several said yes in the choir. <laughs> That's how I know I'm meddling when they're ready to go home at this time. And they're afraid of how long we'll stay afterward. So I'll say two things. I, there's no stairs to go down in the middle, and I couldn't do it if there were. So I'm going over here down the side. We're going to have a benediction in a minute. And then I'm going to start thinking about what the next preacher is going to preach about next Sunday, which will be Cindy. And then after that, God and the DS and the, well, actually God's the only one that knows who's coming because the bishop and the DS won't tell me yet. So that must mean they hadn't figured it out yet either. Don't worry, they will. They'll get it figured out. But there's one thing I want to say for all of you who came from mine and Sally's past ministry among you. You know, I'm, I've never been a big one with gushy thank yous that I'm not going to start today. But let me say this to you. Your coming here today is an honor that I appreciate. It means a lot for you to make the time and the effort, some of you to leave your own churches and to come here today to take part in worship with this congregation. And, you know, you've been on my mind more than you'll ever know. I think of you at the weirdest times and the strangest ways. Uh, some of you know why. Uh, one of you was showing me a picture last night of three guys, and I looked at one of them, and I thought, what is he doing about He lives in Houston. And they were sending me a snapshot, and he said, better be good. I'm coming to preach, and I sold my cowboy tickets for, to come to worship this Sunday. And I thought, well, you might have made money on that. Just saying, Bob, I don't know. I, I didn't ask. But, of course, then there's another chance that given the situation with the Cowboys, you could have lost money too. You know, there's that possibility. But anyway, I do appreciate you coming. And, and for someone to care enough as Bill and Beth to drive up with their children and let me see how they're grown up and to come up from Houston, you know, you, you can't earn that. and you, you can't be good enough to deserve that. And so I'm not going to try. But I do thank you all for coming. For those of you who have served with me in other places, thank you for doing that. Uh, I do appreciate that. And I thank you for my family that left their churches and their places of worship together today. And to be here, it means a lot to me. Um, several of them have asked, well, how do you feel about all this? And I said, I'm not feeling right now, nor will I feel until 12 o'clock or so. I can't allow myself to do that. And I learned to do that in 40 years. You carry those feelings deep within you. I don't know how it feels not to be a pastor. I've been one longer than I can remember. Okay, I'm not going to say it's kind of like marriage. I've been married long. <laughs> I'm already in enough trouble at home for this one Sunday. Uh, but uh, as you all know, whether you came from Paris or Bonham or Frisco or other places, you know that uh, I'm usually in trouble preaching about Sally. I don't know why she's still there after 45 years. I don't really know that. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yes, you do love me very well many times, uh, most times, um, unless I'm shopping for a car. She doesn't usually love me when I'm car shopping. Uh, that won't change. Um, 
but she has been there from the time we went to the first church and the dogs had been living in the house two weeks before we arrived with no person at home. And I remember the lady giving us a tour of the house. I didn't look at Sally. I knew that would have been a mistake. We got the tour and it was nasty. And she walked out and I looked over at Sally and she was sitting in the living room of that little place we were going to spend on the weekends on the middle of the on the middle of that carpet. And she was bawling, just tears going everywhere. And I thought, well, you better not mess this one up. So I went over and I said, don't worry, darling. We'll replace the carpet. We'll paint the house. It'll be okay. I promise, whatever you want, we'll get it done. And she looked at me like, yeah, what about blood? Can we remove blood? I know that's what she's thinking because this guy thinks I'm coming here to stay. You know, he's got to be kidding, right? But she did. And this young woman that I just now caught her high has been sitting with me in a Methodist church since I was a teenager. Thank you for being quiet. I didn't expect to see this young lady here, Candy Aston, a farmer's delight. We grew up in church together at First Methodist. She didn't sit on the back with us four boys. That's a good thing because we were terrors then. She was a lot more holy than any of us and still is as far as that goes. A wonderful person who was some of our dearest friends from our little hometown. So it's been quite a day. Now some of you are going to say, you're through now, right? Let me just remind you. <laughs> before I leave, that I'm only through once I give the benediction, okay? So I'm about to do that. But before I do, Cindy wants Sally to come to the front so she can have a prayer for us. And that's appreciated. And it's also done so all of you don't have to feel like you have to come and pray for us afterwards. That would take, you'd miss lunch. Now, the way we're going to do it after we pray is I'm going to give the benediction. It's still all right, huh? Okay. Well, we still got a wife. And then all of those who are here who are as, who are Sally and I's guests, if you will, today, really the Lord's guests in this place, we would like to greet you again. But for all these people from Carrollton who know we're going to be here week in and week out, unless we are, it's a Sunday we've taken a jaunt and are in Paris or Bonham or wherever, then uh, you don't feel free to go. Cindy and Chiv will greet you, and I won't. If you want to come stand in line, that's your business. But for the rest of you, uh, we look forward to greeting you here at the front before we leave as a family. Cindy, as my associate pastor, I pray God's riches blessing upon you. That God's strength will lead you as you continue help to guide and direct this congregation until that interim pastor comes. You've been a joy to work with. You're a joy for the Lord. And you care for these people so beautifully as you visit them house to house and moment to moment. Chief, may your ministry in Cambodia flourish. May the 1,200 people who've been baptized there in Christ's name spread that gospel that you brought to them across Cambodia. May more churches come. May more leaders thrive and be raised up from amongst your people. And may the church you pastor here in Carrollton, Texas, continue to grow and thrive. You are the most man of God that I've ever known, the most humble Christian I've ever walked with. And I thank you for being part of that. Cindy Johnston, nearly 30 years of ministry and teaching to the children of this church, many of whom are now sitting over here in the youth section. 
many of whom are sitting out there or are sitting across this world or in music, mu music and mission ministry, serving churches because you first taught them about Jesus as small children. That's right. Thank you for that ministry and for your dedication and for all you've done. I know this is dangerous. Y'all are all worried that I'll forget somebody. Don't worry, I will. But I won't forget you, Josh, our newest member on staff who's come to lead our youth. I thank you for your bright smile and for your sincere faith. That's more important than everything you're going to learn in the future. Never forget that. You're just beginning. And God is proud of you for that and for all that you are and shall become. David Bales, leader of our music ministry, the one who guides us into God's presence week after week after week for your love and your dedication, and even for your unending perseverance and insisting upon perfection. Even when you drive me crazy with that, Monday through Friday. Actually, you're off on Friday. What you have given me as a gift of worship, I've yearned for all my life. Thank you for that. I will never forget it. You've blessed my heart in ways that could never have been blessed otherwise. Lauren, sitting back there in the booth, where are you? Are you back there? Yes, you are. Lauren, who does everything. Lauren, who works in worship. Lauren, who does our marketing, our communications, our websites. Our... We pay her an unbelievable amount of money to do all those things. <laughs> And she works like a Trojan and always has. Thank you for that. Your reward is in heaven. The shortest young theologian, sharpest young theologian I know who's entering her master's level program now in England. She'll continue to be with us. Don't panic. But she'll be going over there one week a month or something like that. I don't know the exact semester. schedule. But whatever it is, one week a semester. Whatever it is, she tells you that's when she'll be going. <laughs> And you are to help pay for it every time until she gets that degree. I promised her you would do that, and I'll be one of you, so I'll be helping you do that. I'm trying to think who I forget. Bonnie, are you here today? No, she's at school, isn't she? I think she's serving. She's working at her internship now, so she can't be here. I'm trying to think if I missed anybody. The regular volunteers in the music, who have I missed? I'm trying to think around the room. There's somebody else. Cliff, of course, Cliff. Cliff, you shouldn't work so hard as a chaplain. I'll leave you for last. You're also one of our new staff members, and you've been a blessing to us. You brought all that Baptist training to us and uh, are trying to train us Methodists how, how things are really supposed to work. We appreciate you for that. And we appreciate you letting us make you, give you a few Methodist edges along the way, too. Thank you for the gift of your ministry. As a congregation, thank you. As a people of God gathered from all these places, thank you. Don't give up. Don't give out. Don't give in. Our church and our life is not in this world. It's in the one to come. Now you can pray for us. I think that's all. Let me think, though.